0: You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Hey, let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, um, this text is just one that uh, has captured my heart this week and especially yesterday and just really believe that you have us uh, in just verses one through five, just for such a time as this. and. Lord, how we need just the the Holy Spirit right now to just break through the walls in our hearts and break through our callousness and our selfishness, Lord, our self-righteousness. We need your Spirit right now to, to bring to remembrance all of our sin that we've been forgiven of, that we might in turn forgive others and love others and have a broken heart for those that are just in blatant, outright sin. Lord, do a work today that only your spirit could do in in breaking our hearts for the lost. Give us the heart of an evangelist, Lord, uh, that we would take the good news of the gospel to our workplaces, to our homes, to our families, uh, to just our, our places of sport and leisure. Lord, just take the the sledgehammer to us today and, and just break us out of just the concrete footings we've been in of just selfishness and fear, and just give us that heart for the lost that Paul had, that Moses had, and that Jesus had. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, just real quick, we will be um, getting into uh, the, the depths of chapter 9 next week and the weeks to come. Um, but we have a slight intermission uh, today in Romans, and I'm actually using <clears throat> verse 3 as a bit of a launching point um, into a subject today. So, uh, there's just so much context in chapter nine. Uh, we're getting, we're, we're just, we're in in a sense using verse three as a launching point, uh, to have the Lord put in us uh, a heart for the lost. And Paul does say here, you know, in verses one and two, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscious bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Now, I've heard out there in the world, and maybe you've heard this as well, that whenever somebody is is trying to convey something to you and they say, honestly, dude, honestly, just hear me out. I'm telling the truth, honestly, you know, straight up, man, just listen to me, that they're not telling the truth. Has anybody else ever heard that? Like, if someone's trying to convince you they're telling the truth, they're probably not telling the truth. That, that may be uh, sometimes true, but it's not biblical, okay? Paul all the time says, listen to me, the Holy Spirit's testifying to me, God bears me witness, listen, you know, I I promise that this is the case, okay, all throughout the epistles, Paul says it, so just remember that the next time your kid breaks something is like, I'm telling the truth, mom, I'm telling you, someone once said, okay, get out of that, all right, Uh, but Paul is just trying to convey to the Roman church, which was primarily Gentile, a little bit of Jew in there, that I am broken hearted continually, um, not only for the lost, but for my countrymen and for my brethren. But what we see here, first of all, is just a depth of passion, a depth of heart for people. I've got great sorrow or sadness. I've got continual grief. That's something that really makes you downhearted. And Paul was downhearted because he had this passion for people. And so we need to just pray that as we come together for times in the word and times of worship and times of prayer, that we don't just become intellectuals and we don't just get head knowledge, but that God would really break our heart for our community, for our state right now, as we've been praying statewide for God to use this abortion initiative, anti-abortion initiative for his glory and for his kingdom and as an opportunity to testify statewide as a nation. And then for the other nation's as well but we really see here in Paul just a love for people a love for people not necessarily good people not necessarily nice people not necessarily people that have got it all together and have done everything right but a love for sinners a love for rebels A love for murderers. A love for idolaters. And it can be hard to love these kinds of people. It can be hard to love any kind of people. People break our hearts. You might just put a note in the side of your Bible that Rory is going to break your heart. Rory is going to fail you. Chad and Kevin and Stuart and, you know, just leaders in our church. Just We're men, you know. The best men are just men at best. And we're going to fail and we're going to, you know, hurt you. Your kids and your spouses and your parents, they're going to hurt you. They're going to break your heart. But we're called to love them. What about people that don't reciprocate that love back? That don't seem to give you the same measure of love that you've been giving them? Are you to still love them or are you to just cut them off? Now, worldly wisdom would say, cut them off. We've heard so often that you're not a doormat, right? But then Jesus comes onto the scene and he preaches at the Sermon on the Mount and he throws out just this, this phrase and this saying, a couple sentences in there that just cut his hearers to the heart when he says, love your enemies. He prefaces it with, you've heard that it's said of old, to, you know, love those that love you and, you know, curse those that hate you. But I say to you, love your enemies, those that are actively seeking your harm. You're to bless those that persecute you. And bless literally means actively seek out their good. Love them, bless them, those that hurt you, those that have wronged you. And we need to pray today that God's love would change our heart and that we would see people through the lens of the gospel. You see, because of the gospel, we've been given a new heart. We've been given a new heart that used to shut off people that have hurt us. But because of the gospel, we realize that we are not innocent, that there's nothing good within myself. I've de-godded God. I've been an idol worshiper. I deserve the flames of hell. I'm not inherently righteous or innocent or good, and I'm not imputatively righteous or innocent or good. In me, in and of myself, that is in my flesh, Paul says, nothing good dwells. And when we know that, we can look at everybody around us and say, oh Lord, you've had grace and mercy and love and compassion on me, a sinner destined for hell. And so Lord, I look at all these people, some of them looking pretty good, looking like they got it all together. Others, obviously in some sort of blatant, heinous sin. But God, I love them. I weep for them. I have compassion on them because they're all, go into the same hell that I was going to. We can now love them because of the grace of God. The gospel calls us to love our enemies and to love sinners, not just to pity them. It'd be one thing if the good news of the gospel was quit being mean to them and just pity them, but rather to love them and to have compassion on them even when it's difficult, even when there's not a reciprocal love going on. Some of you know the Woody Allen movie that made this famous quote, to love is to suffer. If you don't want to suffer, don't love. Some truth to that. We're called to love, therefore we're called to suffer. Here in Romans 9, 1 through 5, specifically verse 3 or 1 through 3, we see a love that suffers in the heart of Paul. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Four Loves, listen to this. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact... You must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of all your selfishness. But in that uh, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable irredeemable we're called to love people and if we're gonna love people we've got to take our hearts out of this casket that has no air no oxygen in it no room for life and we've got to let it out there we've got to be willing to be vulnerable we've got to be willing to be stepped on we've got to be willing to be crushed why because the gospel calls us to do it and because Jesus himself did it we have this example in front of us and the gospel causes us to do the opposite than to lock up our heart but rather to set it free to love and when you set your heart free to love you say like Paul in verses one and two my heart is always broken good news huh is that great all right let's go eat at the barbecue <laughs> like Your heart's always going to be broken. All right. There's got to be some like good stuff in here somewhere. We get so petty and so upset about little things and things that even can seem big to us, but it's really because we don't sorrow over people. We don't sorrow over souls that are going to hell. And we don't sorrow over souls that are going to hell because we don't see people through the lens of the gospel. If we saw people through the lens of the gospel, we would see, okay, created good, rebelled against God, sinned, sinners that have worshiped idols and hated God and have been war with God, Rory and everybody else in that category... But by God's mercy and grace, nothing in and of myself, he saved me. And when you realize it's mercy and grace and nothing in and of yourself, then you look at every other person who's still in that war with God stage and you have compassion on them and you pray for them that that same mercy and same grace would penetrate their hearts that they might be saved as well. That we would have this same anguish over people that Paul had. You think of the things that you sorrow over right now. Stuff that you're ticked off about. Stuff that you're bummed about. We were supposed to have summer in the park today and it was a beautiful day outside. And I swear, I went out there at 7 o'clock and it was perfectly good at that time. (laughs) Lindsay. Okay, no, just kidding. I'm totally kidding. No, but think about those problems that you've got right now and the anger and the hurt, you know. And then think about your neighbors that are going to hell and the eternity that they will face if they don't hear the good news. If they don't see Jesus and hear of Jesus. All those problems kind of fade away, don't they? When you have an anguish for people. Spurgeon said, you will be delivered from petty worries If you are concerned about the souls of men, get your soul full of a great grief, and your little griefs will be driven out. Your little griefs will be driven out. Paul has, in the book of Romans preached this global scope of the gospel to us, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that no one in and of their own righteousness can go to heaven, but every man is made innocent by grace through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. They're given a new heart when they place their faith in Jesus, and though they have a new heart, they still struggle, and for the rest of their life, they will battle against sin, and the Holy Spirit that dwells in them will lead them in killing that sin in their life. They'll walk in grace and they'll realize like at the end of Romans 8 that man, because I'm in Jesus, nothing, not even death can uh, separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That all seems pretty good, right? All of sin, fallen short, can't make it on your own. Jesus provided a way, even though, you know, we're still living in this fallen world. The Holy Spirit helps us and gives us victory and nothing, not even death, can separate us from God's love. Woo! Really, there's no need for the end of the book, right? That's what a lot of people have argued. But then Paul starts thinking about his brothers, his countrymen. The Jews, like Aaron read, that have been given so many privileges and rights as a nation, and yet they killed the Messiah. And he starts to weep. And he starts to cry. And he starts to write about this continual downheartedness. Thinking about the loss, Thinking about his brethren, his kinsmen. And so he goes from celebration at the end of chapter 8 to lamentation at the first part of chapter 9. And then that takes us from 9 through 11 in the chapters of Roman where he says and he declares God's plan for Israel. You'll notice there that Paul had this hearts and we see it really in verse 3 for his brethren his kinsmen his countrymen he goes on to say of course for him that's israel but for probably 99.9 of us in this room a percent of us in this room our brethren our kinsmen are not israelites per se and i've just been praying that god would give me a broken heart for my brethren my kinsmen the rogers that don't yet know jesus the prinevill I've lived here for a couple years now. I'm not sure if that's like plural for people that live in Prineville, but I was with a guy in Redmond this week that just kept talking about how sad he was for people that will perish even physically in this life. And as we're driving around, he's rolling down his window and he's, you know, shouting at like poor people on the side of the road and just encouraging them, you know, and, and the lady broken down on the side of the road. We're going 55 rolls. His window, Are you okay, ma'am? you know? And I just told him, man, that's the heart of Jesus, to have a broken heart, a heart of compassion for people. First John chapter two, verses nine through 11 says, he who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. And yeah, you can, well, is that Christian brother or what? Man, just the gospel I know would say anybody that you're around, You can't say you're a Christian but hate somebody. He who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You cannot have an understanding of the gospel and redemption and that you've been saved out of the miry pit and then go around and be a hater towards everybody else around you that's not as good as you, that's not as righteous as you. Cause you know that any righteousness that you have came from who Sunday school answer here. Come on. There you go. Okay. John just says there, you got to have a love for people. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, that's just a fruit of being a Christian. And we know in the Old Testament that the high priest would wear a plate over their chest, a breastplate, and it would have 12 precious stones on it, each stone symbolizing the, uh, the tribes of Judah. And upon his shoulder pads that for some reason he was wearing, uh, it was stylish back then, he had the names of Judah written on those shoulder pads. And the picture there is that the priest that would supplicate and offer sacrifice for the people would carry those people on his heart and on his shoulders, Just like our great high priest carries us on his heart and upon his shoulders. Do you carry a broken heart for your people, your brethren, your kinsmen? Whether they're blood or just by nation. Do you carry a broken heart for these people? Is it weighty to you? Easy to just get on with the daily grind, isn't it? And just try to get done with work so you can clock out and just go lay on the couch and eat a meal and just rest. We get into the sick cycle of that. But even though that, yeah, life can be a daily grind, it's actually an arena for you to be a witness and to testify of Jesus. As people witness you in that daily grind, you get to be a light and share the gospel with them. And this arena that God's given you in Prineville does your heart break for the people. <clears throat> Have you noticed the youth in this town? He has. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I am one. Man, I've just been noticing the youth in this town. There are so many. The skate park, just tons of kids down there skating. Just walking around. I've got a trail by my house that goes down to this fishing pond and just hundreds of people just you know have walked that trail different people and just my heart is like bring the people lord i got a deck right there and set my pulpit up and just preach them as they go by just easy to be like they're not supposed to be down there you know it's like man these are these are people like paul and the little mermaid i want to be where the people are Okay, that took a little while. And praise the Lord, he's just bringing them right off my back porch there. The men in this town, have you noticed them, guys? Have you noticed the men in this town? Man, you just see them in their vehicles, just sitting there at the stoplight. Have you noticed the women? Their husbands making them drive these big old jacked up trucks around you're just like, you have no business driving that thing. Why? Like, tell him no. Buy a minivan. <laughs> My heart breaks. <clears throat> How about on a Sunday morning when we're just coming to worship Jesus and just people are out running? Have you noticed that? The weather's getting nice and just people are exercising and you're like, it's a Sunday. Like, yeah, you can exercise on a Sunday, but man, I just wish you knew Jesus. I wish that you had something to live for more than running. God, give us a passion for our city, our people, our schools, the couples in our town. And Paul says here, I just wish in verse 3 that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. His kinsmen were accursed. It's the word anathema, and it means to be separated or excommunicated from God. It means to be damned, specifically talking about being in hell for all of eternity. Now, these kinsmen of his, the Israelites, it's not like they just missed salvation or just missed that 33-year period where the Messiah was walking amongst them. They didn't just miss it, but if you just flip over a chapter to chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, He says that these kinsmen of mine, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. It's not like they just missed Jesus or missed the Messiah, but they were trying to be righteous in and of their own works. And it was an offense to them for them to be told that you are not innocent, you need a Savior. There's no possible way you can work this out on your own. And so the Jews, the nation of Israel, they trusted in their own righteousness. Even the law they were trying to keep that pointed to Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the law, they missed it. But they willingly missed it. They hardened their heart and stiffened their necks against God. They rejected the very wrath-removing device that God himself had been providing for them or had provided for them. And Paul says, man, I, I recognize that my brethren, and, and we can kind of just contextualize it today to our brethren in Prineville, in this area, your family, your friends, your coworkers, That they are accursed. Romans tells us that the wrath of God abides on him. Or excuse me, that's John 3.36. Those that reject the son, the wrath of God abides in them. Will you look into your co-workers' eyes the next time you're with him or her? And if they don't know Jesus, will you just think for a minute, the wrath of the creator God is is upon this person unless they know Jesus. I pray the Holy Spirit will give you a broken heart for that person. That person who's going to hell. Who's going to be damned. Who's going to be judged. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Problem of Pain, he said, I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful rebels in the end. That the doors of hell are, looked down, or are locked from the inside. In the long run, the answer to those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do to wipe out past sins and at cost give people a fresh start? He did that at Calvary to forgive them, but they don't ask for forgiveness to leave them alone. That's what hell is. When you look into that cousin's eyes or that relative's eyes and you see that the wrath of God abides on them and they will be judged for all of eternity. They will get what they want. Separation from God. They will be successful rebels in the end. The the, the Holy Spirit, even today, before you look into their eyes, that he would break your heart for them. That he would make you a witness to them. That they might not be separated from him for all eternity. Paul says, brethren, in in chapter 10, verse one, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And if you could just transpose that for today to your kinsmen and pray it now, Lord, my heart's desire for Shelly or Billy or Bob, you know, is that they would be saved from the wrath of God, that they would see that they are not righteous and that they need a savior. Paul says, I have so much of this heart. And he says, the Holy Spirit knows, I'm telling the truth, that I would be willing to be accursed myself. Right now, they are accursed. Right now, the wrath of God abides on them, but I love them so much that I would be willing to be accursed, excommunicated from God. Go to hell that my brethren might be saved this exemplifies the heart that Moses had right after the children of Israel you know Aaron tells that lie not his brightest moment you know that oh I tossed the gold into the fire and a calf popped out and so we all worship the calf and committed sexual immorality whoops right after that moment Moses throws the commandments down and they break and he heads back up the mountain. And it says there that it came to pass the next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out. Out of your book which you have written. That Moses had this heart. Perhaps I can make atonement for the people. Perhaps I can walk up the hill and make atonement. And Lord can you forgive? If not blot me out. Out of your book. The same heart of Paul. Lord these people I love them. My brethren. My kinsmen. My countrymen my bloodline, Americans, Lord, if, if I could just be cursed that they might live and know you, I'd do it. Man, it's so hard for me because I don't really think I have this heart, really hard to preach on it, and to have emotion, and I'm just, I've been just praying, God, give me like this heart. Not like, oh yeah, I want these people to get saved. Like, yeah, I really, really want them to get saved. But this heart, I would go to hell if they could be saved. I don't really have that. And if somebody here does, then really you should come up here and be preaching. I've been asking for this heart. The heart of Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, 35, when right after Saul, King Saul, had had the kingdom ripped out from his hands because of his pride and because of his sin, it said that that Samuel mourned for Saul. For the rest of his life, he mourned for Saul. Or the heart of the psalmist in 139, 136, Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. Anybody literally been just bawling and sobbing because men are separated from God? Like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. That was his nickname where he said, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. I wish my head were a fountain of waters for Les Schwab, for the the business here, for the people that are represented in those big buildings as you come across the hill and down the hill for Facebook, for the, the employees there. Man, just last night, I just, I didn't know what to do because I want this broken heart. I just had to get, it was like nine o'clock, I just had to get in my truck and drive around town and just see the faces of the people that are damned. I sat there in the wind on the park bench and just watched the cars go by and, and Lord, I want a broken heart like Paul. Just driving around and just thinking of all the businesses and just all the tens of individuals that, you know, are represented there, that work there. Probably 90% going to hell. 90% going to hell. 90% going to hell. 100% going to hell. Looking, just had to grab a newspaper of Prineville and just look through the newspaper. And looked at the senior class, you know, um, thing that came out in the newspaper this year. And and just, like, I don't know any of these kids, except for two of them. And how many of these are just destined for wrath? Just want to see them saved. Don't have a heart like Paul right now. Just, you know, rivers of water. But I, I want that. I want that broken heart for people like Paul when he would go door to door in Ephesus and share publicly with the people. In Acts chapter 20, he says, for three years, I wept for you and with you. Had a brother text me yesterday and just said, I have a ton of sorrow upon me today. And God gave me that taste of his sorrow and I began to weep with him not because he's going to hell, but just because he's sorrowful. We are just so hard as a people, aren't we? Just so hard, just so focused on ourself that we don't weep with those that weep and we certainly don't weep over those that, you know, because of their sin, they're going to hell. That's their deal. Philippians 3.18, Paul said, many walk, of whom I've told you often and now I tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Just picture Paul reading, writing Philippians and then just starting to weep as he writes of these that are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul would say that the love of Christ compels me, it drives me, it constrains me. In Revelation, we read of these two witnesses who are most likely Moses and Elijah. Elijah in the end times, that are witnessing to the people in Israel, and they're wearing sackcloth as they prophesy and as they witness, in grief over the judgment of the Lamb upon Christ-rejecting earth. Jesus' message was that of compassion, that of repent, that of sorrow for his Kinsman John Newton, you guys probably know him as the famous slave trader turned minister. He wrote Amazing Grace. And he wrote a book called On Controversy on how to write to people that disagree with you. And he said this, As to your opponent, I wish that before you set pen to paper against him and during the whole time you are preparing your answer, you may commend him by earnest prayer to the Lord's teaching and blessing. This practice will have a direct tendency to conciliate, uh, or cons- sorry, consolidate, conciliate 1800 stuff. <laughs> this practice will have a direct tendency to conciliate your heart, to love and to pity Him, And such a disposition will have a good influence upon every page you write. But if you look upon him as an unconverted person in a state of enmity against God and his grace, a supposition, which without good evidence, you should be very unwilling to admit, he is a more proper object of your compassion than of your anger. Alas, he knows not what he does, but you know who has made you to differ. It's God. If God, in his sovereign pleasure, had so appointed you, had so appointed you might have been as he is now, and he, instead of you, might have been set for the defense of the gospel, you were both equally blind by nature. And so when you think of the people that have hurt you, that are hard to love, that are hard to have a broken heart over, man, go to prayer. And have God show you his grace. It is just by God's sovereign grace. As we're going to see in chapter 9. That it's not you on that side. And he on your side. The only people who can feel superior. Are those who've not fully realized their own depravity. He who's been forgiven much loves much. And Paul, you got to love his heart here. He knew that if he was going to speak the truth about Israel, if he was going to speak the truth about practically acting out salvation in the church, that he had to be able to speak the truth not only with love, but with tears. And some people, they speak all truth with no tears. And that's a lack of love. Spurgeon said the death of the human should be a cause of tears for the saints. But just the opposite is true also. People are all tears, but no truth. There needs to be that balance of the two. Paul is sorrowful here because Israel has rejected the truth. And he speaks the truth in love to his countrymen. Eventually, it's going to get him put in prison and sent to Rome to be executed. But he did it with compassion. He did it with love. And he did it with tears. The commentator Denny says, This statement of Paul's is a spark from the fire of Christ's substitutionary love, for he is prepared to die in their place. Paul's heart here, prepared to be a curse for his brethren, for his countrymen. It all stems from the heart of Jesus, which we'll get in in a second. Luther says, it seems incredible that a saved man would desire to be damned in order that the damned might be saved. That is incredible. It's something that I've just been praying hardcore for the last full day of diving into this text that God would put in us. That God would put this heart in us today. And so, for us, just practically kind of contextualizing it for today, that we might have a broken heart for the lost among our brethren, among our countrymen. Broken heart for the the army, broken heart for the marines, broken heart for the physicians, broken heart for the attorneys, broken heart for the homeless, Broken heart for the self-righteous in my drive. Not only was I just, I was just looking for anyone, and anything I could just pray for. I could pray for a broken heart. And I'm driving by churches that odds are, chances are, just what's going on now in their sects is that they have abandoned the gospel for self-righteousness and for works-based righteousness. And that we would have a broken heart for those. But also that we too today would have a broken heart A heart that would be willing to be cursed for the Israelites. You know, as Paul's saying, for him, this is for the Israelites. In verse 4, he says, who are the Israelites? My brethren, my countrymen, the Hebrews, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promise. His sorrow was for his brethren who were Israel because they'd rejected Messiah and all of his, all of the privileges that have been given to them. And that today the Holy Spirit would place in us a couple thousand miles away, good 24 hour plane ride, a broken heart for Israel. Think of it. Israel, the children of Abraham, they had the adoption as Paul says. They had the adoption, Paul said, or excuse me, Moses was told to say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. There was an adoption, a deep depth of relationship there between Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the Lord. To them was also the glory, the Shekinah. You know, they were led around in the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They had the glory fill the tabernacle. They had the glory fill the temple. The priests fell down and worshiped. As it said in 2 in Samuel, that the Lord of hosts dwells between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. That is Israel. The people, the line, they're still around today. I've seen them, I've met them, I've been there. To them were given the covenants. Those of Noah, those of Abraham, those of Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David. They were given the law, the unique revelation of God's will that was spoken forth by God and then written on stones with his finger. The privileges that the Jewish people have had. The services, being able to serve in the tabernacle and the temple. Many of you think that service is a bummer. But I can tell you service in the church today, it's a privilege. It's a blessing. They were given the promises, namely the promise that Jesus is coming through their line. He's the Messiah and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through Abraham, through Israel. Verse 5 of whom are the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, David, and of whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed God. So Christ, probably the greatest and most amazing privilege that the Israelites have had is that Messiah came through their line. As Calvin said, if he honored the whole human race when he connected himself with Sharing in our nature, much more did he honor the Jews whom he desired to have a close bond of affinity. He came as a Jew. He came as a Jew. And with all that being said, the Jews have rejected Christ. And knowing all this, that we too, like Paul, might have a broken heart for Israel. In the next few weeks, we're going to see just God's plan for Israel. And he has a purpose that in chapter 11, all Israel one day will be saved. All Israel will look as Jesus comes back in the second coming, they will look on him whom they pierce and they will mourn as one mourns for their only son. And they will say, where did you get those wounds? And Jesus will say, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. One day they'll be saved but many are perishing now. We would pray for the missionaries in Israel. Just being in Israel um, about two or three months ago, we had many prayer meetings with a bunch of passionate college students on a trip and we wept and we prayed and we cried out for Israel who not only killed Jesus, but also to this day feel there's no need for a blood sacrifice They just want the temple. Many Jews today aren't even looking for a Messiah to come. You know, the nation is the Messiah. Having the temple once again will be the Messiah. Having brothers come and dwell together in unity, that will be the Messiah. And we wept and we cried for Israel while we were there. And I have a dear friend now who's been our tour guide the last few times I've gone, and Elon Knows knows the New Testament better than any of us on the trip. And when we ask him, why don't you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And he says, because Jesus claimed to be God, and I just can't reckon that he's God. That our heart would break for the Elans. That our heart would break for the, the leaders in the temple institute who are living for the temple to be rebuilt. That that would be the Messiah and save the nation that we would have a broken heart for Israel. Now, in closing, doing pretty good, a little bit shorter than normal, okay? We want to see this phrase here, Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed God. Now, first of all, underline it and put a mark in the margin of your Bible that this is one of the most incredible proofs in the New Testament of Jesus being deity and of Jesus being God. The cults hate this verse, And so put it in your brain bank for future reference. But what we really want to look at right now is that Jesus came. We want to see Jesus, as we've been learning in our home groups, we see Jesus as the hero in this text, not Paul. Okay, we were kind of going that way. Paul's such a hero, has such a heart for the lost, totally weeps for them. But then we get to verse 5 and we see, hey, Christ came. Christ wept for the lost. Christ walked on the Via Dolorosa, the road there in in Israel that it's believed Jesus walked on and carried the cross. And Via Dolorosa means the way of grief. But that small path wasn't his only way of grief. His whole life, his whole 33 years on earth were grief. And Paul said, when he said, I could wish that I would be accursed, the language is that of hypothetical. He'd say, I would, I would go to hell for the lost, but he knew, he knew that he couldn't. This was an impossible request written in, the, written in the imperfect tense to just say, I'm entertaining the thought, if I wish, if it was possible, I would be accursed the Jewish reader would instantly go back like we did to Exodus to when Moses wanted to atone for the people. And we read that passage. And so let's go ahead and flip there. In in Exodus, you read of of Moses saying, you know, I, I would be blotted out of the book. But what is God's response? He says, the Lord says to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot him out of my book. The Lord doesn't say to Moses, it's possible that you can be blotted out of the book. Okay, I'll blot you out of the book. I'll forgive their sins. No, what he's basically saying to Moses is it's not possible for you. You see, Moses and Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and now Paul, they all want to offer themselves up. If I could, I'd take their place. I'd be the atonement. Moses was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. They were imperfect for sacrifice, impure. But who came that was pure? Who walked the hill like Moses did to offer himself as an atonement? To offer himself as a substitute? To be separated from God for a time? It was Jesus. Who came and and wept over the lost? And grieved over the lost? You guys know Luke 19, 41 through 44? Matthew chapter 23? Right after Jesus, just in a very dramatic scene, just pronounces all these woes on the Jews. Woe on you Pharisees for being such hypocrites. Woe, woe for this, woe for that, woe for this. And then as he's riding on the donkey, his donkey's trampling over all of the branches from the Hosanna statements. He stops the colt and he looks over the city and he grieves and he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, if you had known, even you, in this your day, the things that make for your peace, But now they're hidden from your eyes for the day will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close in on you on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. He is weeping. He is grieving right there as he looks over the city. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 35, Jesus is going around all the cities and villages in Galilee and then he, he's healing the multitudes, he's delivering people from demons, there's awesome stuff going on, but then he looks up and he sees the multitudes and he sees that they, he says he has compassion on them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. That word compassion means to be moved within your bowels with compassion. Jesus had compassion on these that were weary, scattered, and like sheep having no shepherd. Do we see that in our town? And then he just says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When you have compassion like Jesus over the lost, you begin to pray for evangelists with broken hearts with the same bowels of compassion to go out and to speak the truth in love into people's eyes and to weep for their state. Not only did Jesus weep for the lost, but he did what Paul couldn't do. He did what Moses couldn't do. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. As it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was anathema. Jesus was accursed for the sins of the world. He actually went to hell. He went to Hades, but he didn't stay there. Because he was pure, he went to hell, but he preached victory there. As Ephesians 4 verse 8 says, Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men, Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So he's the one that's the hero in this passage. And he not only wept like we can't even seem to muster in ourselves that we long for, he did it. We pray for the heart of Jesus. He not only was accursed and died but he rose from the dead and now he sits in glory. Kendra and Chad, why don't you guys come on up. I just texted Kendra last night. Just Here's what we're reading. Just pray. Just pray that the songs, that the Lord would use the songs to break us. Do you hear the Hosanna song? That bridge in there? break my heart for what breaks yours everything I am for your kingdom's cause second new song that we sang to uh, the last new song is to say the you are the the gospel is the hope for our nation and that the, that the Lord would just put that belief in our heart and we're going to take communion and then we're going to go have fun at a barbecue and fellowshipping but just right now let's just take some time let's Let's consider just the faces around us and in our families and our homes and let's pray for a broken hearts. That God would take our eyes off of our luxury and off of our privileges and just our distractions. We are such a distracted people. Lord, take our minds right now and just focus them Give us your heart, Lord. Not only the heart of Paul, the heart of Moses, the heart of Jeremiah, the heart of Jesus, Lord. Going to the viewpoint and just looking over and so many lost, Lord. We're we're in such a small town, but Lord, there's just so many lost in this small town, It's the people that fill those vehicles, the people that fill the desks, that fill the sports fields and courts and the theaters, Lord. Souls, God. Lord, let us be like Paul in 2 Corinthians where he no longer regards men according to the flesh. He doesn't see them as just mere people, but as souls, Give us a heart for people, Lord. And even today, just may it change our church radically, Lord. There'd be forgiveness, even amongst our own selves, Lord, that hasn't been there for a while. There'd be a heart for the church and for the people within the church that are coming, that are wounded and hurt. Be a heart for the lost in our community, Lord. Or that the gospel lens would just give us so much mercy and so much grace for people because we know we've had that much given to us. As we take the, the cup and we take the bread, Lord, we, we think of that you walking the hill and you becoming an atonement and you shedding your blood and you breaking your body that we might be forgiven. As we take communion, Lord, just place upon our eyes this gospel lenses, Lord. And if you're here today and you came here, not a Christian, not born again. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about being American. I'm talking about having the spirit of God transform you. Taking out of you a heart of stone, putting in you a heart of flesh that can know God born again, regenerate, a new creation. When God's brought you here today, if that's not you, so that you could hear this good message of truth, that as you came in those doors, the wrath of God was upon you and you're destined for hell. But in his grace and in his mercy, he brought you to hear the good news of the gospel that though you're unrighteous, though you're a sinner, though you've failed countless times, one came who did not sin and did not fail, and he offered himself up as a ransom for your sin. And if you would just rest in him today, you will not perish. You will not taste of the wrath, but you will have everlasting life. And you could come to the table today for the first time and Take communion and, and remember his blood that was shed for you and remember his body that was broken. You remember him, the man who's acquainted with sorrows, a man of grief, a man of suffering, a man of brokenness for you. He became those things. Let's worship and maybe just, you know, I just pray for the Holy Spirit to move right now we confess, Lord, we just haven't wept for the lost. We confess, we're just hard-hearted, we're stone-cold. Let's just the fire of the Holy Spirit come and melt us, Lord. We're sinners, God, we need forgiveness, we need your grace, we're not perfect. Lord, we're beggars who know where the bread is. Break our hearts for the lost. And maybe just today, you would just want so bad that broken heart, maybe you would just kneel where you're at. Maybe you just come forward and just kneel at the altar, just with the cup and the bread, and just think of Jesus being broken, that he'd make you broken today. Let's respond, and let's ask and believe God for great things for our brethren, for our countrymen, and for the nation and the people of Israel. Let's intercede right now. Let's worship.